Hello and welcome back to The Crew Report, a regular podcast from Argus Media in which we uh, tackle the big issues of the day. Uh, my name is James Gooder. I'm a VP for Crude in Europe at Argus and I'm very pleased to welcome back to the podcast Tom Reed, who is our VP for China. Uh, he's also the editor of our Argus China Petroleum Report, which covers the issues that you're going to hear about in some detail. So hello, Tom, and welcome back. Hi, James. Hi. Good to have you with us again. Um, so the topic today is China's reopening. This is in the news. After implementing the strictest, lengthiest period of isolation of any country in response to the coronavirus pandemic, and of course, the implications for our listeners of all of that for oil demand. For a lot of this year, Trump's crude prices have traded way above longer dated contracts because everyone's been scrabbling around to replace Russian oil uh, in the wake of the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, but prompt prices, short-term prices, really started to weaken in September as China tightened its COVID controls. Combination of lockdowns, intensifying economic slowdown in much of the rest of the world, as well as China, has really drawn a lot of the strength out of the markets and prices have been falling fairly gradually, but significantly down from where they were over the summer um, to levels now in the kind of 70s for Brent rather than the 90s. This has been superseding even the impact of the price cap, which is a whole other kettle of fish, but we can say a few words about that as well. Uh, and we've seen the redirection of Russian crude flows around the world as a result of everything that's been going on. And uh, regular listeners will have heard all about that in other podcasts. But anyway, as we say, we've seen uh, crude prices come off, even tipping into contango with forward prices above the prompt ones. That's suggesting some kind of structural weakness in the market. And now, overnight, it seems, China appears to have U-turned on its zero COVID policy. Uh, and this is perhaps a bullish signal for the oil markets. Tom, tell us what's going on. Yeah, thanks, James. So, yeah, zero COVID has, of course, been very, very bearish for Chinese oil demand. And we, you know, depending on which way you cut this, how you slice it, we would expect Chinese oil demand this year to be about 800,000 barrels a day lower than in 21, a fairly staggering drop. Um, in particular, zero COVID's hit gasoline demand really hard because no one wants to travel, no one wants to get caught up in a lockdown or sent off to one of those uh, dreaded temporary hospitals, the Fang Tang that I guess we've seen in the news. So yeah. the the speed with which China's reversed course on its COVID policy has been um, been phenomenal, far outpacing what I and I actually fed into the optimist camp on you know the end of zero COVID expected and and it is as you say it's potentially pretty pretty bullish for oil we're recording this podcast a day or two before we release it but just today which is the 7th of december the government basically scrapped a lot of the very restrictive measures so for example uh beijing's ordered local governments not to lock down entire neighborhoods very explicitly it's also removed the testing requirement outside nursing homes and schools and a lot of people are going to be a lot happier because of course no one really loved queuing for hours on a freezing winter night in Beijing to get throat swabbed. No, no. So, I mean, really, we're going from a situation where millions of people have been locked in their homes for up to months at a time to minimal restrictions on movement, no testing. There's been talk of a scientific rationale for this, but perhaps it, it's uh, people power as well. But anyway, what, what's yeah. really happening? People have been talking about the scientific basis for, for reopening for some time. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the government's accelerated its preferred time frame for reopening 
really, yeah. I think, in response to political conditions. We went out on a bit of a limb last week. We argued it would stagger the national reopening on a city-by-city basis while it rolled out extra vaccinations and installed more intensive care units, ICUs. That now appears to have been far too cautious. The scale of the protests we saw at the end of November clearly forced a rethink. I'm sure everyone saw those on the news, but essentially... Uh, there was a fire in a city in uh, the northwest called Urumqi, where I think, I think 10 people died. And yeah. a lot of people blame those deaths, rightly or wrongly, uh, on the zero COVID policy. Uh, Xinjiang in northwest China had been locked down for about 100 days. So those deaths then triggered these protests up and down the country, which uh, in turn seems to have accelerated the reopening schedule. That's right. So, I mean, those people must be over the moon now. Isn't this exactly what they wanted? And is China back? I mean, is China firing on all cylinders now? Are we going to see the economy roll back? Well, I mean, not really, no. Uh, mobility data do already show signs of a tentative recovery. You know, these are fast data points. But, but as we saw in, in the West over here, you know, and probably to a far larger extent in China, people are still super worried about catching COVID. Uh, the government's begun to talk down the dangers of the infection, but it spent three years telling people to be terrified. So there is this very natural caution that needs to be, be overcome before China comes roaring back. And there's also the fact that vaccination rates among China's elderly population are incredibly low. Only about 40% of people over 80 have had three jabs. And, and of course, you know, the, the, the Chinese domestic vaccines are less effective than the mRNA vaccines, which has still not been approved in China. So old people, I think, in China are tremendously vulnerable. And China doesn't have the ICU capacity to deal with a spike in hospitalization. And of course, you know, there's no guarantee that China won't return to lockdown if its hospitals start to get overwhelmed. So I think people are initially at least like to be very reluctant to dip into those precautionary savings that they've been building up this year and, and you know, uh, go spending crazy. The savings rate in China has absolutely shot up this year because people are dealing with a lot more uncertainty than they were in the past. And of course, you know, this is very much not their first lockdown. No, indeed. And, uh, you know, perhaps they're on a, a kind of uh, shifted schedule. I mean, in the West, we had to kind of on and off, open and shut, and perhaps there'll be a period of that. But for the time being, you know, how are the oil markets reacting to all of this? On the consumption side, in terms of gas and diesel use, consumption demand, I would expect things in China to remain pretty soft for a while. And then, you know, really start to recover from around April next year. Um, but, of course, you know, crude markets trade far further ahead than products markets. So Chinese companies are buying cargoes now that will arrive in, in February. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, prices had been weakening. Uh, Europe obviously been trying to build up crude, crude inventories before its embargo on Russian crude kicked in uh, this week. Um, it looks like European crude stocks are up about 3% on the year. Supply to Europe's increased. The CPC terminal reopened. You know, we've got output of Johan Sverdrup from Norway going up. But, and I think this is possibly more significant, demand from Europe is starting to look really soft. Uh, West Africa in particular has been struggling to sell cargoes from its December and January loading programs. That's been a real drag on uh, spot prices, in particular for sweet crude. So what we're now seeing is Chinese buyers come back into the market and hoover up a lot of those unwanted cargoes that Europe couldn't digest at really attractive prices. So for example, 
something that loads in Angola in January be arriving in China in February, approximately be refined in March. Now, not only is March the seasonal start of China's diesel intensive construction season, it also coincides with the annual parliamentary meeting in Beijing, the National People's Congress, when we would kind of expect to see any remaining COVID restrictions formally lifted, assuming that, you know, things go to plan. Mm. Right. Well, I mean, behind all this, as, as we've kind of alluded to, we have the whole Russia story. I mean, what about the demand for Russian crude? I mean, a lot of the trade flows have been redrawn already. And as you say, I mean, demand for West African crude is perhaps under pressure because so much of it has been supplanted from from India. But are Chinese companies buying that too? If we look at the outright prices right now, Urals is only around $45, $47 a barrel, which is well below this week's other big news, which is the price cap, which uh, in order to be allowed to get insurance in G7 countries and, and, and finance and other services, uh, a cargo must be traded at $60 or less. So the Urals prices, the Western Russian crude is well below that. But if you look to the Asian side, we're talking about now, Espo Blend, which loads into the Pacific and is very much a Chinese targeted grade. It's around double that $45 barrel price on an outright basis, well above the price cap. So you can't just use Western insurance or shipping there. And that's a huge market, 800,000 barrels a day. How's China reacting to all of this? Yeah, cargoes from the December ESPO blend program didn't really shift at all or took a very, very long time. You know, in theory, this is a trade cycle that starts in October and we usually wrap up pretty swiftly. But in fact, there's still a handful of cargoes left, we believe, and we're well into December. I think to a large extent, the very slow take up of ESPO blend cargoes from December actually was linked probably to zero COVID and, you know, the intensifying lockdown because ESPO blend is so close to China. It doesn't trade as far ahead as, as your Atlantic Basin crude grades. It's quite prompt. So we're, but we are starting to see trade for January cargoes pick up now you know, we're expecting them to ship on Russian vessels insured by Russian uh, companies, uh, probably settling in in RMB. So they will fall outside the purlieu of these sanctions. And again, I would expect demand for Espo Blend to pick up now that we see COVID restrictions easing. And, and also because the differentials, the spot market differentials at which Espo Blend is trading are weakening in line with prices for other grades. So, you know, Espo Blend is now trading at four and a half dollars under Brent Futures. That's interesting. I mean, we're really seeing the emergence of two kind of parallel oil markets here, trading on different terms, insured in different places. Very interesting how what was a very global interconnected market is really kind of bifurcated. Mm. Anyway, it sounds like things are starting to look up for China after a very tough period. At least that's the way it seems, though that may be partly dependent on things looking worse for Europe. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But thanks ever so much as ever, Tom, for sharing your thoughts with us. My pleasure. If anybody wants to read more about all of this, of course, they should get a subscription to the Argus China Petroleum Report. And of course, the markets are covered in great depth every day in the Argus Crude Report. If you don't have access, please get in touch and we'll be happy to arrange that for you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Argus Crude Report. And we'll be back again with another update very soon. Thanks, James. Bye, everyone. Bye.